The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. But I want to just check in about the 32 body parts before I go on. Any reflections if you've been doing this? And uh, Spruce, uh, track down Amatanasanti's guided meditation on the 32 body parts that she did a couple years ago. 2013 when she was here. And uh, so that got sent out today, late afternoon. So you can use that as well as the recording from last week and this recording from this week will eventually get up on the website as well. Any thoughts or questions about the 32 body parts meditation? Yeah, Julia. And Kaya has the mic, which will pass to you. Julia here. I just noticed uh, when I was going through it, and I only did it a couple times, but the main thing I noticed was that I have a certain attraction, um, almost grasping with certain body parts, like my eyes. Um, I've been told to have nice eyes, so, you know, I'm kind of, they're special to me, precious even. Um, and then um, the a body part like the colon, I'm not really interested in <laughs> reflecting on that. So that was, I felt a sense of aversion. I thought, oh, maybe I better sit with this a little bit more. So that was yeah. one thing that came up. And that's just that alone, like just to hold the image of the eyes and notice the attraction and to hold the image of something else like the colon and notice what's there it can be really interesting. And it reminds me what your comment about the eyes. There's a story, I think it's in the, the collection of the verses of the nuns, but where a man approached one of the bhikkhunis, um, awakened woman, monastic woman, and uh, basically said, you know, you look pretty good. <laughs> you sure you don't want to have sex or something like that? He was probably a little bit more subtle. <laughs> but uh, I forget exactly what led up, but very quickly she removed one of her eyes just to show her level of dispassion to... Basically, now what do you think? (laughs) And maybe, you know, being wise and psychic, maybe she knew that this was good medicine for this guy, you know, and maybe it would turn his life around and instead of spending his life, you know, trying to have sex with people he he was attracted to, he might sort of more deeply consider the predicament of being a human being. And she had another good eye, so... And she was beyond fear, greed, anger, and delusion. So, as the story goes, at least. Anyway, these stories, these practices, you know, they're meant to evoke or point the mind in the direction of a more profound kind of dispassion on purpose to something we tend not to be very dispassionate about, our bodies. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Other thoughts before we go on? Yeah, Jana. I shared with my small group last week that I have an aversion to this practice because it brings up images of like after the Holocaust, all of the piles of eyeglasses and satchels and hair and, you know, there's something kind of ghoulish about it. And um, so tonight doing the loving kindness practice for the body first and then imagining like removing the hair like with love 
really was different. So yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, and we just have a lot of programming from all the horror films and, you know, about body parts and, you know, the different things. When and I had bubble tea today, you know, if you haven't. And they got these little sort of eyeball-like things in them. People know that, like little jelly things. I'm not sure what they are. Is it tapioca? But they're round and they're a little bit like eyeballish. <laughs> At least that's what my ghoulish mind thought. <laughs> Anything else about the 32 body parts which you've been learning? Or yeah, hiya. And this is that second training, right? Like, or third, you know, mindfulness of daily activities, stretching the arm as we pass the mic. Actually, what I've found, it's been really helpful to me to have this because I have spent so much time, you know, judging and being aware of my body and trying. And it's been really actually helpful to just break it down into all these little parts. And it's not to me as a significant, you know, I don't have to be, hmm, I wonder what that's like now, you know, or how does that look or how does that compare to someone else? It's just body parts, you know, and so... To me, as far as a person who deals with self-image things or body image, it's been really helpful. Yeah. And there's not much difference when you, you know, if we had all these piles in this room, you know, none of it would look very personal and none could be easily connected with some story of Mark or Haya or whoever. It would just be piles of body parts. Yeah. Maybe one more. Ellis. Um, So I understand that I'm Ellis, and (laughs) I understand that this is mindfulness of um, the body. And um, I'm just wondering, like, do you associate this at all with, I forget what it's called, but the things we're supposed to remember, like I'm subject to aging, I'm Mm -hmm. subject to sickness. I think, like, some of my aversion and, like, real refute for this could be, like, I am subject to death. Yeah. I am, my body is going to decompose. My body is like vulnerable. Um, so I understand that the point, and I've been practicing with this, is to lose that like sensual kind of attraction. But is there also some of it with reminding us we're subject to death and aging? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically what it's doing is it's uprooting uh, the the concepts or ideas we have about the body and it's grounding it's like it's not even really mindfulness i mean in a sense we're being mindful of our imagination we're using imagination so the point is by bringing our attention to what we're imagining we're causing the unquestioned unconscious view of the body or idea of the body the superficial view of the body it gets pushed aside because we're bringing in another view of the body, that it's actually just a bunch of body parts that could be separated. And when they work together, you know, then things hum along. But like you're sensing, you know, like anything that's constructed, it will fall apart. That's just in the nature, you know, it's like that law of entropy. What comes together falls apart. And so it's supposed to challenge the views, the existing ideas or views we have about the body. That's the point. So that's why we're curious about, like when in Julia's comments, 
the whole point of doing this is to notice resistance or attraction. And then just to keep working with it. Like, so if there is attraction, you know, to really go beyond the idea that I have nice eyes, I have nice biceps, I have whatever, a lean figure, whatever we might like or whatever we might not like, to go beyond that and, it's, and realize it's just a pile. You know, it's just a bunch of meat or it's just a bunch of bones. It's just a pile of skin. It's just these two little eyeballs or this little pile of nails. So we're really looking for that that cool feeling. that And dispassion is a good feeling. It feels good. But it's it can be an acquired taste. You know, to whatever degree we're addicted to intensity and drama, then initially coolness will be suspicious of. But the more we work with the feeling of coolness, which, and you could say peacefulness too, because peace has a cool feeling to it. Not icy cool, <laughs> but cool meaning, you know, in Buddhism, coming out of hot tropical Asia, you know, cool was really a nice word. <laughs> now being Minnesotans, cool has a different flavor, but we can get the idea of like, the fires of greed, anger, and delusion calming down, that kind of coolness with this, with these, these practices. And remember the practices, you know, they're going to have different effects on different people. So, Ellis, it might be evoking a sense of death or Jana's point too is a little bit like that, you know, just the ghoulishness and sort of the fear of this life ending. So different things won't be the same for everybody. But generally, the, it's said that the three, these last three trainings of the uh, body parts and the four elements, which we'll do in just a few minutes, and next week we'll do the corpse meditation or the um, imagining the decomposition of the body, the falling apart of the body. When life ends, what happens to the body? It's really these elements return or as I learned as a Catholic, you know, dust to dust. So the body returns to dust, returns to the elements, returns to the earth. So it's said that the 32 body parts is mostly, for most people, good at removing any attachment or greed we might have about body, the body, our body, somebody else's body, anybody. And the four elements, which we'll do later, helps to remove the sense that there's a self there. And I'll, I'll spend some time talking about that in a minute. And then the one we'll do next week, the corpse meditation, or just remembering and imagining what happens to bodies when life ceases. And even before it ceases, it can happen. I still have this memory seared into my mind of my, see my uh, grandmother's father so my great grandfather, who lived with my grandmother in North Dakota, and we went, we go visit every year, and uh, he lived with her for a while when he was really old. He was in his 90s, and I remember he had this like open sore by his ankle, <laughs> and my both sides of my family, my mom and dad, both grew up on farms. They were all farmers, so they have a different take on these things. And he thought it was like taunt the great-grandkids by, you know, hey, look at this sort of thing. But it was like festering wound that wouldn't heal. It was just too old. His body just 
couldn't heal any more of these things. And I forget exactly. I just remember being disgusted, but the pus or something, anyway, looked really bad. And uh, so, um, you know, what these each reflection points the mind towards one of these gateways of dukkha or anicca or anatta. So these are the three characteristics of dukkha is the unsatisfying aspect of life. So when we do the 32 parts, there's nothing really satisfying about anybody when we look that way. And we can, even when we see it all put together, looking around the room, we know it's just a bunch of parts. And so remembering, like including that information as we're hanging around bodies, that are not dry, nicely dressed up, it, it will cool out any attachment and we'll realize the dukkha. So this is a more subtle meaning of dukkha. Normally we think of dukkha as being bad. But dukkha is not bad. Dukkha is the way it is. That bodies are not worthy of attachment. They're not worthy of grasping. They're just what they are, a bunch of parts. And then... Anicca, the impermanence. So that's this one we'll do next week where we see the very, you know, there's birth and growth and maturing of the body and then the falling apart. And then when there's no more life, the sort of the more extreme falling apart of the body until there's nothing but dust. And then the one we're going to talk about tonight, the four elements, is really seeing that there's no self there. So, when we do the four elements, we're going to, this is a more, this is a more pure mindfulness form because what we're going to do when we say, well, the body's like this now, like we have been doing with the breath and the whole body awareness. But now what we're going to do in a more systematic way is we're going to deconstruct or we're going to organize the different qualities of sensation so that we see that there are just these qualities and these qualities, like the quality of hardness and softness, and smoothness, and roughness, and heaviness, and lightness. That's what we call earth element. And we just see, okay, those are just earth elements. And then we have what, you know, traditionally called the water elements. So the cohesion, you know, like a water balloon. So when we just feel the body as it is, we're not making any of this up. So we're just, when we open to the body as it is, as a play of sensation, Obviously, the sensations have different aspects or different qualities. And anybody with a mind can organize those different qualities, those different sensations. right? So there is that sense of it all happening together. That's part of the water element. And there's a sense of fluidity in the experience of sensations, like one thing leading to the next, which is another aspect of the water element. So... Don't get hung up about earth, the word earth, the word water, the word temperature, the word air. What's important is just this way of categorizing the sensations. So that in any moment, as we're aware, and I'll go through this systematically in a moment, you can see that there are just these different aspects, these different elements of sensations being known. And it's an all-inclusive list, so there's nothing to the body. Like I think Anne last week mentioned about 
the energy body. But you see, when even that, whatever we would call the energy body, the feeling of vibration, that's included in the four elements. So it it's all-inclusive. There is no experience of the body, by definition, that's not included in these categories. So when you train your mind to see the body in this way, so then now we're not using our imaginations, but we're just using a conceptual map to take the direct, immediate experience of sensation and organize it and to see that there isn't anything outside of the earth element, the water element, the air element, and the temperature element, the fire. It's called fire element, the temperature element. So uh, last week I sent everybody the um, some notes. Um, let me read what the Buddha says first in the Satipatthana Sutta. So this is the discourse the Buddha has on the four foundations. And most of you know that the first foundation is the foundation of the body, being mindful of the body. And the Buddha teaches us six ways to be mindful of the body. So we've learned mindfulness of breathing, moving into whole body awareness as we breathe in, whole body awareness as we breathe out. Mindfulness of the four postures. It's the second training and mindfulness of the body. If we're sitting, we know we're sitting. If we're standing, we know we're standing. Walking, we know we're walking. Lying down, we know we're walking down. The third is mindfulness of daily activities. So if we're passing the mic, we know the arm is reaching like this. If we're touching the light switch, we feel the hardness of the plastic. If we're, you know, drinking, we notice that physical activity and the taste and all that goes with that activity of drinking. So that's the mindfulness of daily activities. Now we're into these last three body parts, four elements, which we're doing now, and next week the corpse meditation or the decomposition of the body. So this is mindfulness of body. So this is what the Buddha says about the four elements. Furthermore, just as a skilled butcher or the butcher's apprentice, having killed a cow, would sit at a crossroads, cutting it up into pieces. The practitioner contemplates his very body, however it stands, however it's disposed, in terms of properties. In this body, there is the earth property, the liquid property, the fire property, and the wind property, sometimes called the air property. In this way, one remains focused internally on the body in and of itself, or focused externally in and of the body, in in the body, in and of itself. And it just goes on with that stanza that happens after each meditation practice, where we're, the first stage is to see it in and of itself. The second stage is when you see it in and of itself. So like when we see the body in terms of the four elements meditation, what gets set in motion? Or maybe a sense how impersonal it all is. Or when we see the body not in terms of the four elements, maybe it seems very personal. right? So the second stage of meditation is to see what's the effect of seeing the body in terms of the 32 body parts. Or seeing the body as a corpse. Like eventually this is going to happen to this body. If the cremation society doesn't get it, you know, and I'm backpacking all by myself and I die, this is what's going to happen to this body. So we imagine that. So what's the effect? 
right? And then the third is that uh, the mind, the awareness, like whether we're, however we're seeing the body, it's just allowed to happen and have its effect. We're not foreseeing, we're not trying to be skillful. And so that goes, and one's mindfulness that there is a body is maintained to the extent of knowledge, remembrance, and one remains independent, unsustained by not clinging to anything in this world. So the habit, you know, is that our mind clings and it clings to things that somehow seem to relate to me. And most of us, most of the time, have a very strong sense that either I'm in the body or this body belongs to me or that somehow I'm connected to this body. So that clinging can be uprooted. That's, like someone said, a uh, a misappropriation of public property. Right, where we sort of take something that's public, like nature, the body's nature, and we make it mine. And so what we're doing is we're bringing some theme, some way of viewing the body to mind that stops this construction of a self built upon some idea of the body. We can change how we imagine, how we understand, how we feel the body, and that will cause us not to be able to use body to support a sense of self, a separate, fixed self. So this is from Venerable Analeo's book on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. He says, because he's talking about the simile of the butcher that I just read, he said the corresponding simile illustrates the effect of this particular method of contemplation with a butcher who has slaughtered and cut up a cow to sell. According to the commentaries, the butcher simile indicates a change of cognition. This is the word uh, here. Cognition means perception or sanya is the Pali word. So you could say like a paradigm shift. Since after the slaughter, the butcher thinks no longer in terms of a cow. So whether we do what we've been doing recently, the 32 body parts, or we use these four elements and see relate to the body in terms of these particular categories of sensation, then it doesn't make sense to call it a human being anymore. It's only when, it's the same thing, you know, whatever experience, if you break it down into different aspects, it as a singular experience doesn't make sense anymore. You know, if you broke down the experience of taking a shower, into the experience of heat, the experience of wetness, experience of, you know, that pleasantness or whatever you feel when you're in a shower, then it doesn't make sense of me taking a shower. It's something else. Just like we did with the body parts, you know, or you could do with a car. If we took a car and spread all the parts around this room, somebody would walk in. They're not going to go, that's a car. They're going to say, that's a bunch of parts. But car doesn't make sense. It only makes sense when it's together. So this is the why they use that image, and this is what we'll do with these body parts, or with these uh, body sensations. A similar shift in cognition, cognition takes place when the meditator dissects the body 
into its element, elementary qualities. The body is no longer experienced as I or mine, but simply as a combination of these four qualities. To experience oneself as a combination of material qualities reveals the qualitative identity of one's own body with the external environment. In this way, a healthy degree of detachment develops, counteracting the grasping at what is, in the very, in the end, merely a combination of material qualities. With sustained contemplation, a meditator can come, may come to realize that this apparently so solid and compact material body and with, and with it the whole material world is entirely without essence. There are simply different degrees of hardness, softness, wetness or dryness, hotness or coldness, or some degree of motion. Contemplation of the four elements has thus the potential to lead to the penetrative realization of the insubstantial and selfless, selfless nature of material reality. Now, people hear that, when we hear that, we think, so what? But it's the seeing the nature of the body or the nature of anything that causes grasping to drop from the mind. The activity of grasping ceases when the mind sees things as they are. And it's it's not really easy for us to appreciate how transforming that moment of realizing the mind or the heart free of grasping is. We might have bumped into it, but we haven't probably fully realized or understood that experience of what it is, what the mind is, when there's no grasping. And then people who do, you know, they don't understand. It's like a dis can be a very disorienting experience because then this experience, which we've been living out of this reality that we've been living out of for so long, doesn't make sense anymore. It appears to be an illusion. That like, wait a minute, why are things so hard or difficult or troublesome or heavy for me as a human being, for others as human beings. So it's like two realities. And then the practice then with deeper insight is learning how to integrate those two realities. Like to be in this world where there's weight and suffering and problems and messiness and to not, to sort of stay in tune with non-grasping a mind, or like Ajahn Chah calls it the reality of non-grasping, the mind free of grasping. So when we do these, we do this reflection like we're going to do in just a minute, the idea is to awaken, to drop the views of mind, the, the view in the mind of the body that supports grasping, that makes grasping seem rational, unquestioned. Moment after moment after moment, one way or another, the mind is always struggling, it's always grasping, it's always holding, it's always pushing or pulling, it always has something it has to do. So do we know the mind that's free of doing, free of pushing and pulling, free of seeing in terms of problems or seeing in terms of good and bad? Do we know that mind or that heart? So the Buddha says, if you 
take up this reflection on the four elements and any number of other reflections, this isn't the only one, of course, and you really develop it, you'll, the mind will begin to, or at least the probability of understanding the experience of non-grasping will, will sort of increase or develop in a gradual way. <coughs> so let's go ahead and do this, and I'll talk us through it. So we'll do it for about 15 or 20 minutes. Sherry, could you turn the upper lights a little bit more so I can see better? No, a little bit more. Up. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. So I'm going to do it in the way that one of my teachers teaches it. But eventually, this is just the beginning stage. Eventually... The mind really understands the earth element. Does it need to sort of go through each of the six parts of the earth element? And it's like the mind flashes on the whole body and just sees it in terms of the earth element. Flashes on the water element. Flashes on the temperature element. Flashes on the air or the wind element. Back to the earth. And it's just uh, creating enough continuity of seeing the body in that way that there's no space in the mind to construct a self on the body, dependent on the body, sort of in the usual way. But we'll do it in a more systematic way. So altogether there are 12 elements or 12 aspects of body sensation. Right? And you you know, the body sensations, we feel them. But you can imagine it's not such a big deal to categorize all the different qualities or aspects of bodily sensations into 12 categories. And then under the earth element, there are six qualities. And then under the um, air element, there are two. Under the water element, there are two. And under the um, temperature element, there are two, cold and hot. So the way that uh, Pa'oxaida teaches is he puts them in order that he's found that his students find easy to learn until you get really good at recognizing all 12 of the aspects. And then when you really know, like all the six that have to do with the earth element, then you can just see the earth element as a dance of hardness, softness, roughness, smoothness, heaviness, lightness. But initially, what we'll do tonight, we'll go through each one. And we'll use the order that he teaches This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.